The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. We are big on, on worship, if you could describe it like that. In God's favorite house, we are big on worship. Worship is a huge part of our identity. In fact, more than that, the, the most important thing that we do is what? Is worship. The most important part of the service is worship. All the, all, every part of service is important. You know, the word is important and indispensable. Testimonies are powerful. Prayers are powerful. You know, however, the most important thing we do is, is worship. And God wants true worship. God desire true worship. He wants true worship from us. So what is true worship? What is it to offer worship to God that is acceptable? How can we? Jesus made it clear in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verse 21. John chapter 4, verse, from verse 21. It says, Jesus replied, speaking to the woman by the well, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. True worshippers must worship God in spirit and in truth. And, and, and that is what true worship is. True worship is worshipping God in spirit and in truth. And interestingly, the word of God says the Father is looking for true worshippers. Is looking for those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that is so, so, I mean, I find it so interesting because... If God is looking for someone, he will find a person. If God is looking for you, he will find you. So there are people that are keeping vigils looking for God. There are people that are fasting 40 days and 40 nights looking for God. But there are people that God is looking for. Where do you want to be? Those looking for God or those who God is looking for? And God is saying to us that true worship puts us in a place where the Father is looking. It's an active word. He's searching for. And God is looking for us. God's family house. Because we are true worshippers by the grace of God. You know, we, we say this, that if God the maker of the heavens and the earth. Obviously, there can be in every place at the same time. If you were to be in one place, just one place on the face of the earth, where will it be? 
God's favorite house. Why will it be God's favorite house? <laughs> because we are true worshippers. By the grace of God. And the... And the more we learn about true worship, the more we are, we are like magnets to his presence. The more we carry God's presence effortlessly, the more we walk in true worship, the more effortless we carry God's presence. So you, everywhere you go, God goes with you. And Jesus was saying to this woman that... One of the barriers that she was having, or the, the tribe, or the Samaritans were having in, in worshipping, is that they don't know who they are worshipping. They don't know who they are worshipping. So, you cannot be a true worshipper if you don't know who you are worshipping. If you don't have a relationship, a, a working relationship with who you are worshipping. So we have to know the person we are worshipping. So it's not enough to worship. You must know who you worship and how to worship. You must know who you worship and how you worship. It's totally indispensable. And you see, today, by the grace of God, we are going to learn how. And God will reveal who to us, even as we learn how. And there's no other person to learn from how to worship, to be a true worshiper in the Bible. The best example in the Bible of a true worshiper is who? It's David. <laughs> it's David. The classic example of a, a true worshiper. And there's a story in 2 Samuel 6. And in this story, David was king in Israel. And the ark of God was, he wanted to bring the ark of God back to the city of David, to Jerusalem. And David, in the process of doing that, he chose the elite soldiers of Israel, the finest warriors. He chose the best horses and, and carriages, just like how the Philistines will carry and transport the ark. So David put the ark of God on the cart and the horse was going with the cat and the cat shook and Uzzah stretched forth his hands to stabilize the ark and God killed him. He just died. And David was offended. And David said, just take this ark to uh, Obed Edom's house. Just put it there. Now, listen. If there's something that just killed someone, and the king says they should put that thing in your house, does the king love you or hate you? <laughs> you know? But obviously, Obed, Obed Edom was, was obedient, and, you know, he took the ark. And in was it three years or three months? God turned around Obedidom's fortune. That David said, oh yeah, bring the ark back. <laughs> because, you know, and he realized that the, the issue was not with God. You see, many times, when we struggle in our relationship with God and we stumble and we are upset. Oh, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow that to happen? Why did God allow... You see, the issue is usually not with God. 
If we step back and allow God, He will show us where the problem is. But the problem is not with God. So, David stepped back and saw where the problem was. The problem was in the transportation of the ark, not in the ark himself, itself. So, David went back to how God had said they should carry the ark. I don't need your finest warriors. I need the priests. By strength shall no man prevail. I need the priests, the people that have been called and consecrated for the work. And we take it from there. Because David carried the ark into Jerusalem the proper way. And we can see what true worship really is. True worship happens when these seven things happen. True worship happens when these seven things that we are going to learn from David today happen. Are you ready? True worship happens when I, number one, when I take extreme measures to do it right. When I take extreme measures to do it right. Second Samuel 6.13. Second Samuel 6.13. It says, after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now, think about it. These guys, six steps from here. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. David says, stop. They stopped. He builds an altar. He sacrifices a bull and a fattened calf. Calf. Then they take another six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. He kills a bull. He sacrifices a fattened calf. Now imagine the amount of sacrifice. It was extravagant. Some will say it was not really necessary. Some will say it was extreme or fanatical. So David, in that journey of bringing the ark to Jerusalem, spent more time sacrificing than commuting. They spent more time sacrificing than walking. They spent more time. Why is that important? You see, many times when you want to worship God properly in a way that is acceptable to him, when it's true worship, many times people think you are crazy. Many times, people think you're crazy. You have to go with what comes from your heart. And when you go with what comes from your heart, because, um, like, people don't understand what comes from your heart, and they say, hmm, she must be crazy. He must be crazy. So carrying the ark, as soon as they go six steps, he sacrifices. A bull and a fattened calf. Worship is like love. In fact, you can't worship if you don't love. You can't worship God if you don't love God. And worship, like love, is extravagant. Worship, like love, is extravagant. There's a story in Luke 7, 36 to 39. Worship like God, like love, is extravagant. If you love someone, you're extravagant. If someone says he loves you, my dear sister, and he's not extravagant, he doesn't really love you. If your wife says she loves you and she's not extravagant, but extravagant means, you know, 
you do crazy things for people you love. If you say you love Jesus, and it must be, it must always be at your convenience, <laughs> you have not even started. Because worship, like love, is extravagant. It's extravagant. You see, you, by the time you, you finish, um, okay, you know, before, many of us, before we got married, you know, we did crazy things for the people we ended up marrying. True or false? <laughs> Very true. We, do, we did crazy things for them. I, I think back, I'm like, what came over me? Was I possessed? Yes, possessed by love. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And that is how worship is. Luke 7, from verse 36, says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, the Pharisee that was healed of leprosy, Simon. So Jesus went to his house, to his home, and sat to eat. When a certain immoral woman, everybody say immoral, even the Bible described her as immoral, from the city, heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, and she knelt behind him, at his feet, weeping, her tears fell on his feet, and he wiped off, wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet, putting perfume. Now, <laughs> this is extravagant. It doesn't make sense. It's too ex- it's excessive. It's fanatical. Putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman, you know, kind of woman, you know what that means? What kind of woman is touching him? She's a sinner. And Jesus said, Simon, if somebody owes you a little and you forgive the person, and that person owes a lot and is forgiving. Who loves the most, the more? Says the one that is forgiving the most. Says exactly. Says this woman, and that is how love is. You see, when love is in place, extravagance is in place. You see, money spent out of love is never wasted. Out of true love. It's not wasted. It's just an expression of, of your heart. And it's, you see, same goes with God. When you're in love with God and you are worshipping God and it has not yet been defined as extravagant, it never reached. Praise the Lord. <laughs> when you are worshipping God, when you are giving your life to God, when you are giving your substance to God, and yourself, you look at yourself and you're like, what came over me? Was I, was I drinking something? David shows us clearly that true worship is extravagant. Second Samuel 24, 24, David um, makes this very popular statement and said, I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. Now, they were going to give him the place, Onan, this was the threshing floor of Onan, the Jebusite. They were going to give him the threshing floor. Onan says, my king, have the threshing floor. David says, no, I will pay the full amount for it because I can't offer to God what has not cost me anything. And you see, increasingly, we have people that think that their work with God can get any traction without sacrifice. It's, 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 it's a misthinking. You can't get it right like that. Spiritual things don't work like that. See, only one, two, three people, four, five, excited, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, seven, 
15, 20, 25, 50. <laughs> Hallelujah. Spiritual things don't work like that. And the way it works is that it may not even make sense to your wife. It may not make sense to your husband. It may not make sense to your brother. It may not make sense to your sister. If Abraham had said to Sarah, I'm going to sacrifice Isaac to God, what do you think will happen? The boy I waited for, the boy of my old age, Kuku sacrificed me and the boy. We are going together. <laughs> Listen, the Bible was silent about that, but I reckon that it didn't because the story would have been very different. You know, the, the person that uh, sang, there's a song, Galabasta Box of Oil, that you don't know where Jesus found me. You don't know when he wrapped his loving hands around me. So you can't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. You can't be the judge over my sacrifice to God. Because you don't even know where we are coming from. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. You can't even begin to... To, to, I mean, because you, you don't even know. So some guy that's on Twitter is tweeting crap. Some guys on social media, they're saying crap. And people are even allowing their faith to go down the drain. You are going to get there. You know, why they don't even know where God took you from? They don't know. And you are realigning your convictions based on some guy that is smoking weed. If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not going to take you anywhere. If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not going to take you anywhere. True worship happens when I take extreme measures to do things right. When I take extreme measures to do things right. And the same applies a crossboard in life. If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not going to take you anywhere. So number one, true worship happens when I take extreme measures to do what is right. Number two, true worship happens when I get physically involved with my body. I don't just send my gifts and give my sacrifices. I get physically involved. 2 Samuel 6.14. I get physically involved. It says, David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. David danced. He got physically involved. He, he, he didn't just sacrifice and, and was posing like a big boy and walking down. You know, he's a king anyway. But David got physically involved. He didn't just order, go and sacrifice the bull and the fattened cow as if God were hungry. He got physically involved. He danced before the Lord with all his might. Mark 12, 30. Mark 12, 30 says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's not enough to just send your boys to, to, to bring the bull. God wants you to be physically involved. And, you know, apart from dancing, how do I get physically involved in worship? I mean, there's a whole, the Bible is filled with a whole lot of examples, you know, of how to get physically involved. If you are writing, you need to write pretty fast. If you are taking a picture, that is even 
better because we have a whole list. <laughs> sitting. Sitting. How do I get physically involved in worship? How do I get physical in worship? Sitting. In First Chronicles 17, 16, the Bible says that David went and sat before the Lord and said to him, How? Who am I? How have you been merciful to me? He sat before the Lord. Walking. Psalm 42, 48 verse 12. Jumping. Acts 3, 8. He was leaping and jumping and praising the Lord. Eyes down. The tax collector that couldn't even look up. His eyes were down. He looked 18, kneeling, Psalm 95, verse 6b, in clapping, Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you people, it says. I'm not saying you should clap, but because your hands are busy. But if you can clap, it's good. Standing, Psalm 33, verse 8. Dancing, as we saw with David, Psalm 149, verse 3. Bowing, eyes up, face down, lifting hands. These are ways we can get physically involved with worship. And it's important to God because if it were not important, he wouldn't put it in his word. It's important to God that when you come before God and, and, and nobody's saying that you should, um, you should, um, Some assault. If you can, praise God. Say, Pastor, I can come and some assault. Of course, there's space to some assault. Praise the Lord. But the key thing is get physical. Get physical in worship. God, true worship. Is when I get physical. When I come and I get physical in worship. Number three. So number one, true worship happens when I take extreme measures to do it right. Number two, when I get physical, physically involved with my body. Number three, true worship happens when I let the music move me into God's presence. Verse 15, Second Samuel 6, verse 15. It says, So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of the trumpet. They brought it. They allowed the music to move them in worship. Now, sh- shouts of joy... You know, if, if God has said sounds of joy, it would have been debatable that they were just making some quiet sounds and they were joyful in their heart. You know what I'm saying? Shouts of joy. How do you shout? Shouts of joy. Amen. That's how to shout. You use your vocal cords and you make the sound. And the blowing of the trumpet, the musical instrument, was loud. It's important that we understand worship from a biblical perspective, not from our personality preference. Many times we want to engage God from our personality. Oh, that's just how I am. Oh, you know, I don't like to dance. Oh, I don't. <laughs> God says dance. He's the person that has legs that can dance. Nobody saying you should dance shaku shaku. You, you may not be able to do it. I, I mean, there was some guy that wanted to dance it. He, he broke his knee. It's fine. If you're not anointed for shaku shaku, you know, it's okay. Some people are really surprised. Why, right, Pastor? Pastor, can you dance shaku shaku? Of course. <laughs> Should I do it? <laughs> I can't. No, no, no. Listen. 
I will, I can do it for the Lord. Now, now look at me. Some are looking at me very funny now. <laughs> now, now, now. There are some, some, some dances are just neutral. Some are provocative. You will see me dancing those. Chop, chop is neutral. Okay, okay, forget that I said that. <laughs> number four. <laughs> um, so, number one, take extreme measures. Two, get physically involved. Three, let the music move you into God's presence. Number four, engage. When I am engaged, when I engage and I'm not passive, that's so important. True worship happens when I engage and I am not passive. Second, Samuel 6, 16. says, but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down. Everybody say, look down. Look down from a window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. She was filled with contempt. True worship happens when I engage and I'm not passive. There's no vacuum in the spirit. Michal was passive. Everybody in Jerusalem was on the streets. Her husband, the king, was where? On the street. But she was in a window. Watching. Look at them. You know, I am the daughter of a king. We have palace protocols. And was passive. And the danger of being passive is this. When... Because there's no vacuum in the spirit. When people are passive, the enemy uses them. The time kings went to war, David was passive. When people are passive, they are open to the enemy. So for you to be uh, a true worshiper, you have to be active in worship. You cannot be passive in worship. You have to be active in worship. So we see from David that true worship happens when I engage in worship. And I am not passive in worship. When I engage and I'm not passive, there's no vacuum. There's no vacuum. It's just like fruits and, and weeds. Fruit takes effort. Fruit needs to be planted and tended. But weeds need no effort to grow. So when you just leave your mind shallow in worship, weeds begin to grow. Weeds begin to grow. Arrogance begins to come in. You begin to be more critical. Things, you begin to be touchy. Meanwhile, God wants you to be active. You know, if what would have happened if Mikael was with, where is my husband? Don't worry, me, Bolowa. Where are you? And he says, you're on the street. She comes back down. She goes to the street to meet David. Would she have the problem she had? As David is dancing, she too, she's Komole. She won't even have, I mean, she won't even have time. The enemy will not have sown contempt for David in her hearts. You have to be active. Sometimes you need to tell yourself, get up and praise God. You need to command yourself. Psalm 108, Psalm 108, David commanded even his musical instrument. He says, my heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. Wake up, lay and harp. I mean, is that no madness? You're waking up harp. You're waking up there. It's like saying, wake up drums and keyboards. Were they asleep? 
But that shows you how deliberate this man is. He says, wake up. He says, I myself, another translation says, I myself will awake. I myself, I will wake the dawn with my song. Not only will I wake my instrument, not only will I wake myself, I will wake the day up. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. This week in, in celebration by the grace of God of, of our eighth anniversary, we are, hallelujah. You know, we, we're going to have sweet hour prayer. It's going to be very early, so that those that want to go to work will be able to go to work really early, like 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., one hour. This place will be charged. You know, it's as if we can, <laughs> you know, it's, we, we used to have it. So we're going to have it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. On Wednesday, we're going to have eight hours. Did you say eight hours? Yeah. Eight hours of worship from 12 noon to 8, p- to 8 p.m. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, now I know it's a, work, it's a work day. I mean, for those of us that have flexibility of our time, this is your opportunity to show God all the things you have been telling him. How much you love him. <laughs> but we all can be here from 6 to 8, the last segment. Some of us can come in at 12 and do 12 to 1 and go back. Some of us can do 1 to 2 and go back. 3 to 4 and go back. 4 to 5 and go back. 5 to 6 and, and stay. Then 6 to 8, <laughs> we, we are all here. Why? Because God, hasn't God been faithful to us? Hasn't God been kind? He deserves it. He deserves it. So number five. How many did I say? Seven. Good. Number five. Take extreme measures to do what is right, number one. Get physical, number two. Let the music move you, number three. Number four, engage and not be passive. And number five, let it overflow into my words and my deeds. Let it overflow into my words and my deeds. Second Samuel 6 from verse 17. It says, They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it. David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. This is after all the sacrifices on the road. <laughs> ah. He blessed the people. Let it overflow through my what? Words. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord <clears throat> Almighty. Then he gave. Let it overflow through my words and my actions. He gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person, each person in the whole crowd of Israel, both men and women. All the people went and, the pe- and all the people went to their homes. So by the grace of God on Sunday, everybody here will get a piece of cake. Yeah, just, it's very scriptural. You can see from scriptures that David does it. He has to overflow. And for those of us too, when we become true worshippers, as we, as we move and, and grow in being True worshippers, we have to let it overflow into, it has to, if you're a true worshipper, it has to overflow into your words 
and your actions, you find out that you are generous. You are generous with your words. You bless people. When people come into your presence, they live blessed because you are coming, you abide in the presence of God. So your words build up. Your words give life. When people engage you, you are a giver. There are things that come from you to other people. It is a contradiction to live a life of true worship. And when people engage you, they feel deflated. They are discouraged. You can't come from God's presence. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. You've just finished praying. Let's say you've prayed for two hours. Then the first thing that comes out of your mouth is an abuse. Useless man. Foolish woman. It, 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 it ought not to be. He has to. God's life has to overflow. Overflow in your mouth and in your action. The people around you, and sometimes that's why the witness of the, of the gospel is, is in that, because, you know, we have people that claim to know God, but they do many things but bless, and many things but give. You can't know God without blessing people. And you can't know God without giving to people. Blessing people and giving to people should flow from our knowledge of God. And David shows us that when we are true worshippers, it overflows to other people's lives. Everyone that day went home with a piece of cake. Everyone that day. Do the math in Jerusalem. Do the math. Everyone ate David's cake or the cake given by David. Everyone. I want to challenge you. You see, as, as we step into the new year by the grace of God and press further in things of God, as you get deeper in God in worship and understanding him, let it overflow into other people's lives. Let it overflow into the lives of your colleagues, to the lives of your neighbor, to the lives of your, of your spouse, please. As, as you're going to see shortly, into the life of everyone. So number six, take extreme measures to do it right. Get physical. Let the music move you into worship. Engage. Don't spectate. Let it overflow your words and actions and take the same attitude home to my family. I take the same attitude home to my family. You are not a saint in church and a rascal at home. You are not a very nice, gentle lady in church, but in the house, you are a small pepe. Second Samuel 6.20 says, <clears throat> and this, this, uh, this is what it takes to be a true worshiper. It says, when David returned home, he blessed his household. You see, it's not just about blessing God's people, impressing people with razzmatazz and all that stuff. What does, who, do, who are you at home? What does your spouse say you are? You look like at home. If you have to ask your spouse, what would he say? What would she say? If you have to ask your husband, hey, that lady comes to church, how is she at home? Say, Pastor, do you really want to know? If you have to ask your colleagues, how is she? You know, he took it home. He took it home to bless his household. Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, <laughs> how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. <laughs> you know, you can, you can smell the sarcasm in that statement. 
disrobing in the sight of slave girls. Slave girls of his servants. As any vulgar fellow. Vulgar fellow would. But he didn't face David. He still blessed his other wives. Blessed his other children. <laughs> and <laughs> it didn't stop him from being a true worshiper. So, again, it tells us that the people you are blessing or the people you are blessing doesn't have to respond the way you want them to respond. It shouldn't change who you are. So, you're like, oh, I'm, I've, been, I've been blessing, I'm blessing, I'm blessing. Today, you're going to see my red eye. <laughs> no. David knew that Micah wasn't there. Micah's attitude, I'm sure, is not strange to David. David was not shocked. But he didn't stop David from blessing his family. And you see, when you have a walk with God that cannot affect your family, something is wrong with that. Something is wrong with that. Your walk with God cannot affect your children. Your work with God. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of pastor students don't want to hear anything about church. You know that. Why? Because of what I'm saying. But a lot of pastor students are in church. Praise God. A lot of pastor students are in this church. Praise God. <laughs> so we see that God expects us as true worshippers to take it back home and be consistent. Be consistent. Bless your home. Bless your sons. Bless your daughters. Be the priest. Take God's word to them. Take God's blessings to them. Even if they despise you, take it to them anyway. You have a duty to take it to them. Even if they don't respect the prophets, you know, in his own house, still take it to them because that's your calling. Praise the name of the Lord. And number seven, after we've taken extreme measures to do it right, gotten physical, we let the music um, move us, we engage and not spectate. We let it overflow into words and action. And we take the same attitude home to our family. Finally, number seven. Think about yourself. I humble myself before God in celebration. I humble myself before God in celebration. Verses 20 to 23 says, When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. Now, let, let me explain this. David, kings have robes, royal garments. David did not say, let me quickly get home and change. David disrobed in front of everybody. I mean, it can even be offensive. Obviously to his wife, because it's the natural response. But you see, sometimes you need to be spiritual and ignore what is supposed to be a natural response. David took it disrupt publicly. Then he, he wore an effort. Now the effort is just a 
um, you know what cooks wear? The apron, but effort covers the, just the front and the back. Aprons, I think, don't cover the back. You know, that's all he wore. And every time a king is in procession, and this is just amazing, someone, a vulgar person, somebody that, that plays the fool, a buffoon they, the they call them, goes in front of the king and begins to dance like a mad person, begins to jest, a jester. Every time a king is in possession, there's a jester, there's someone that just, you know, makes everybody laugh, makes it full of themselves. But when they were carrying the ark, David became the jester. He became the buffoon. He became the one that, that would be dancing like a madman in front of the ark because he recognized that I'm only a king because he made me king. He is the king of kings. So, 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 when he is on the throne, on the ark, I am his boy. That's it. <laughs> I've just been a fool. Now, that is the picture. And David, ah, that guy was ahead of his time. David understood that the only security he has as a king lies with God. The only person that determines who becomes king is God. The only person that determines the duration of the kingship is God. I will be a fool before God. He says. Please bring up that scripture. Before the slave girls and any of the vulgar fellow would and David said to Michal, <laughs> it was before the Lord. You are seeing slave girls. I am seeing the Lord. Who are you seeing when you are worshipping? Who are you seeing when you are worshipping? Who are you seeing? Who is taking your focus? The slave girls of the Lord. David says it was before the Lord. Who chose me rather than your father? He has some bad mouth there. And anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. You think this is uh, shameful? You have not seen anything yet. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Now, let, let's pause there for a little while. And that is where a lot of us struggle. We, we want to be dignified in our own eyes. But you see, when it comes to true worship, it really doesn't matter what people think about me. It really shouldn't matter what people think about you. The only thing that matters is what God thinks about you. That's the only thing that should matter. What, what, what does God think? And many times, we like to keep our rep, you know, as they say, we like to keep our, you know, our brand. And David says that, I'd rather shred my brand and let God rebrand me. I'd rather become nothing before, before him. He says, but these slave girls you spoke of, <laughs> I will be held in honor. You know, and something very sad was said after. That, and Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. In the Bible, did not say she was barren, but she had no children. Most likely, David just put her aside. You walk away from dishonor. You shouldn't try to build relationship with people that consistently dishonor you. That's how it is. 
Praise the name of the Lord. What an example. But David just left her. He fed her. He housed her. He clothed her. But she was not worthy of his person. Why? Because anyone and anything that disregards your worship is not worthy of you. It's not worthy of you. So David got to the place where he's like, this is me. I will not let your hate determine my faith. And it is so important. He says, I'm not going to lose my faith because of your hate. Many of us, we allow people's criticism, people's hate, people's negativity affect our faith. We should let the ridicule humble us more so that we can worship God more. Praise the name of the Lord. We should let, when they, are, when they say, oh, those people have come, they abuse you. It is okay. It is before the Lord. But you see, many times, social media has become the Bible of some, a lot of people. Social media is the Bible. What this celebrity says about dancing in church is what flies. Once the celebrity says, don't dance in church. Say, why are we even dancing in church? Say, when celebrity says, don't kneel down. Why are we even kneeling down? Say, it's unfortunate. But David says, no, 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 no. Your hate will not affect my faith. My faith is before the Lord. Remember, we started from relationship with God. You must have a relationship with God. You can't be a true worshiper of a God you don't know. It must start with knowing God. God wants us all here to be true worshippers. He wants us all to be extravagant with him. He wants us to humble ourselves. But you can't even really begin to do that if you don't know God. Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. I want to pray for you this morning. You're like, you're like, Pastor, I want to know God. I don't want to be a stranger to God. I want to worship a God that I know personally. I want to have a personal relationship with God. I want to pray with you wherever you are seated. Should I come forward? You don't need to come forward. I'll pray with you wherever you are seated. Or you are saying, I used to know God, but I, I am back. I've backed up away from God. Can I come back to God? Yes, you can, my brother. Yes, you can, my sister. Can you pray with me? Yes, I want to pray with you. If that is you, put up your hand now over your head. Quickly, I will pray together. Now, put up your, put up your hand well. Well, Pastor, pray with me. I want to come into, God bless you, right there. God bless you. I want to come, God bless you, my sister. God bless you. Keep the hands up until you get a card and they will slip a card in your hand. That's all you can put on your hand. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my sister. God bless you, my sister. That is me. I don't know God. God bless you, right there, my brother. God bless you. I want to know this God. I want to know this God. I want to know this God. God bless you. Once you have the card, you can put on your hand and, and, and just... Pray and talk to God. Once you have the card, God bless you, sir. God bless you, my brother. Right in front. That is me. I want to know God. I want to know him for myself. I don't want to worship a stranger no more. Pastor, can you pray with me? Yes, I want to pray with you. Put up that hand. Once you have the card, you can put down your hand and cry to him. And cry to him. Oh, Father, we thank you. We pray for everyone that is surrendering to you today. We ask in the name of Jesus that you breathe upon them, my Father.
You are their maker. Introduce yourself to them. Change these lives. And let your name and your name alone be glorified. Every one of us say, my father, make us true worshippers. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the Lord, for his kindness, his mercy, and his favor.